but seems like it may start to um, get a little bit more white out there so that you have a safe driving experience going home. Um, we're in uh, a bit of a stage of talking about prayer. How many enjoyed Kathy McDonald last Sunday? Yeah. We're blessed. We're blessed to have a lot of musicians, and we're also blessed to have a lot of gifted, um, capable, and competent speakers. And I'm just so grateful for Kathy and Gary and their contributions to this church. Um, next Sunday, we're going to have the privilege of finally <laughs> getting my wife to speak. My God, is it, it's been like a dry and barren land without Bethany. No, I'm just joking. Um, but she's going to talk a little bit about the subject. She has a lot to say about prayer. Um, and so... I'm grateful uh, for my wife. Um, Listen, uh, you often hear that this church was birthed out of prayer, right? My hope is that every church is birthed out of prayer, but this one specifically has a unique story in the way that it was birthed out of prayer. See, um, first, just about 10, maybe more or so years ago, Bethany came and through a series of of events— uh, planted what is called the Justice House of Prayer. We don't need to get in much of the details about the Justice House of Prayer. But essentially, we came first to the city of Cambridge, not as a church, <laughs> for a good long time. Uh, church wasn't even on our radar, actually. <laughs> like The thought of pastoring scared us tremendously. It was just good to gather people, pray for the needs of the city, and, and, and kind of hit our targets in prayer. But church, doing the whole... Church thing just seemed out of the box crazy. Well, it was um, probably about three years ago, and maybe a couple months, uh, God had, start, had been speaking to me about um, maybe taking a, a new step in the kind of trajectory of our life currently that was, uh, existed um, when we planted the Justice House of Prayer. And I began to become really stirred to start a church we were gathering so many students at the time and so many different people, and there was this pervasive cry from most that gathered with us saying that you guys need to start a church. We need an expression, a church expression like this. And what better idea to first come in and serve the city? I really believe that what we've been doing for 10 years and continue to do with prayer is a service to the city. It's, it's a bit, it's deemed a bit insignificant and like, oh, can't you do more than pray? You know, there's like, go, you know, feed the homeless and or go, and those are all noble things. But what we've been doing for years is just serving the city. And out of that, when we say out of prayer, God planted a church, we mean that out of 10 years of laboring in the places of prayer, I think a good five of those years, four of those years, were just a small group of people. We didn't even have open prayer sets. Just a small band of people. Actually, I think the first couple of years was just Bethany and two other people in a, um, a, uh, a small bedroom in MIT, a dorm room, praying. I could be wrong, but she'll get into more of the specifics next Sunday as she um, kind of unpacks our history. And so that's what we mean. That's what we mean when we say we're a church that's been birthed out of prayer. I think there's no better way. Actually, I'm excited that we haven't just tossed in the towel um, when it comes to our prayer sets, we haven't just said, oh, well, we're a church now. Let's just scale down our sets, scale down the times that we have in prayer, and uh, just give ourselves to discipling um, people. And we haven't. We continue to do, and by the grace of God, we'll continue to build more sets. And a lot of what we do will 
uh, be birthed, if you would, or conceived from that small little two-room uh, down on 135 Western Avenue. Have anybody, raise your hand if you've had the opportunity to be part of a prayer set at J-Hop. Okay, a large percentage of you, but there's a, there's a number of you. Ben, you've been there, bro. Come on now. Come on. Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. I, don't know. I didn't know if you needed like, me to snap your back. because you're. No, I'm just joking. Um, but uh, so a good percentage of you haven't uh, been by. I want to encourage you to stop by. We have prayer sets as um, maybe you can put the prayer schedule back up, Sam. We have prayer sets all throughout the week. Um, both morning and night, and we, we really want to engage our church not to just show up on Sundays, but to be part of the prayer culture that we have down at J-Hop. Uh, luckily, we, I think, brought to an end our Telios series with Kathy McDonald. We're going to continue in talking about praying, prayer, picking up where she left off. Turn with me to Matthew 21, verse 12 through 13. This is probably a familiar uh, portion of Scripture to most um, maybe, or most likely to most of you who have been around this community for any length of time it is. Um, but here's Jesus. Uh, in a, if you read the up above um, kind of uh, summary of what Jesus is doing, it says, Jesus cleanses the temple. <laughs> okay, well, let's read. Let's, let's find out what this cleansing looks like, right? And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He, and he overturned the tables of the money changers. He overturned the tables of the money changers. I just read that again. And, sees, and seats, um, I'm sorry, this print is really small. Let me, let me lock in here. These are Bibles that we hand out to people who want New Testament Bibles, but it's an ESV. So he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be, a called, shall be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, if you're anything like me, I've often got caught up with Jesus' words there, kind of his summary of kind of giving identity to his temple. And if we were to kind of just lock into a modern definition of what Jesus um, uh, was maybe defining at that time in that temple, we could say very much that this still, or we still should be, um, people of prayer. That should be our main identity. But I get, I get kind of tripped up because, you know, ultimately Jesus, in my uh, assumption, could have said anything here. He could have said anything here. And we're going to get into the, some of those specifics. But before we do, let's um, unpack a little bit of the backdrop of this story. It's believed uh, by many scholars that um, this was Jesus' second time cleansing the temple. Other scholars believe that this is the same time that's recorded actually in the Gospel of John. I, I don't really think that's true, given that the two accounts of Jesus cleansing the temple are so drastically different. If you read both, uh, uh, both um, what would you call it, transcriptions, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but if you read both accounts of um, the disciples, um, so there's such drastic difference between the two um, observation. I would just, I would think, or I would, uh, you know, yeah, I would think that it would be logical that these are actually two separate occasions that Jesus, and if that's the case, that's remarkable. That's remarkable. Um, so there was a growing animosity and tension growing. You know, some scholars, people who are far more intelligent than me, which is not hard to do, um, believe that uh, Jesus did this in 
intentionally to create a divide, to bring animosity between the current structure in the church and his coming kingdom. Isn't that crazy that Jesus deliberately (laughs) brings tension and division into the church to make a statement that he is the coming king prophesied in Isaiah 56? And even more remarkable, he doesn't say, my house shall be called a house of healing. You know, uh, my house shall be called a house of prophecy. Or you, you fill in the gap with whatever you want. He doesn't. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. The, the thing that is so interesting, even more so to me, is that this was prophesied all the way back from the prophet Isaiah about Jesus saying these words, walking in the temple. Actually, Jesus quotes the prophet in Isaiah uh, chapter 56, verse 7. And so you kind of get the feel, given the history of this thing, that this is a desire of God's heart. That, that this, these words, my house should be called the house of prayer, has to be something within God's mind, in his heart, something of importance. You understand, he could, Jesus could have said anything. I mean, you fill in the gaps. My house should be called a house where they twirl flags. I don't know, you know, I don't know, where they speak in tongues and they never speak in their real languages. I don't know, he could have said anything. You fill in the gaps. But he says, my house, just get that, get that. My house shall be called a house of prayer. So essentially, Jesus, he, he, he kind of disturbs the current structure in the church. He, he kind of brings a divide. He, there's animosity growing <laughs> between the religious leaders. You know, the funny thing about it, these religious leaders of who Jesus was addressing in Matthew 21 were the same people who gave themselves to the rigorous study of the Torah, the Old Testament. Not only do they miss Jesus <laughs> because they don't like how it's packaged, maybe, but they missed the fact that Isaiah prophesied this very same thing in chapter 56 of his book. Um, There are several theological takeaways from Matthew 21, but one takeaway, one theological takeaway that I want to kind of uh, get at here, and hear me, because this is the heart of my whole message, is Jesus' words here work to clarify the purpose, the purpose of the temple. Let me say that again. Jesus, one of the main theological takeaways, there are several, but one of the main ones is that Jesus works to clarify (laughs) right in this moment by the overturning tables. I mean, this guy is a madman. I mean, if you read uh, different commentary around uh, this Jesus that walked in the temple at this time, you would say, oh my God, we've got a rebel on our hands. Certainly, if anyone like that walked into this place today, we would probably crucify him. <laughs> Just joking. But maybe. I mean, we would definitely wrestle him down to the ground. Um, but Jesus is a rebel. He walks in. I think in John's uh, account, in John chapter 12, he says, Jesus had a whip. God, could you imagine if this morning I walked into this place with a whip? Why am I saying this? Because we often paint a picture of this meek and mild lamb. (laughs) 
And yes, is he the Lamb of God? Absolutely. Is he the same one that says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth? Absolutely. But man, you can't cut Jesus up. (laughs) Jesus is a tyrant. You can't just bring one facet of Jesus and adopt it and adapt it in your life. You gotta bring all of Jesus in. And you gotta allow Jesus to get in your own heart and overturn those tables. I mean, I love that we get all excited about it. I certainly am, but I hate it when Jesus comes into my life and start overturning things. I don't know if I like that Jesus. I'm good with the lamb. Give me the lamb, not the lion. The main idea here at this time is that Israel's worship became so out of sync with the way God desired it as he gives Isaiah that vision, that prophetic word, my house shall be called a house of prayer. It became so out of sync, so out of line, so opposite from what God the Father desired. So the real issue is how out of sync Israel worship was with the great end times vision that Isaiah had prophesied in chapter 56. Jesus quotes a portion of this vision from Isaiah 56. My house shall be called a house of prayer. You know, fortunately, the context of Isaiah 56 helps us understand exactly what Jesus is doing. According to Isaiah's vision in chapter 56, eunuchs would keep God's covenant. Uh, Foreigners would join themselves to him. An outcast would be gathered with his people and worship God. But Jesus approaches the temple at this time and and it's plush with uh, the selling of goods and animals. Um, Essentially, uh, the place designed all along for foreigners to, to meet and come together and worship Jesus, for all the nations to seek the Lord, was now overrun with opportunists trying to turn a prophet And the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, the ones who studied the Torah the closest, observed the Old Testament the closest, allowed it to happen. I don't know about you, but I'd like to think that if I was a man of the cloth back in these days, I'd be wearing a flannel cloth. I'd be like, what's up? I'd be a trend center, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But if I was, man, I hope I didn't miss it. But it seems like it definitely seems like they missed it and they missed it more than just on this issue and my fear is that we are missing it today we often just put aside you know prayer let's put it down the list of priorities certainly I mean some some of it just the concept of gathering together and having these things that we call prayer sets or even your own private closet life of prayer um you know, we often, it, it, I don't know about you, but I've been offended. I'm like, God, I can get this job done myself. I don't need to pray. I mean, I could do it faster. You know, I, I, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I often just, I, I go to prayer when things are really bad, and I know I think can't do a thing about them. Come on, don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. But isn't it true? We, we often view prayer, none of us would admit to it, but I'll just do it for us. 
We often view prayer as something so insignificant. What is that? Like, what do you mean you guys on a Saturday meet for two hours at night? I could be going out to the movies with my friends and having fun, catching up on sleep, whatever. But, but, but you can't escape. You cannot ignore the emphasis that the scripture puts on prayer. And you can't ignore it if you track history from Isaiah, the prophet, Speaking the word of God. This is God's words. My, you know, my house shall be called a house of prayer. When it was not just conceived in Isaiah's mind. He was filled with the spirit and God spoke through him. Come on. I know there's like five people here today because it's snowing. But listen, I'm going to preach like there's 120. All right. This was God. This isn't just Jesus trying to be a rebel and cause trouble. He's saying, oh, my father. If you read the words of Isaiah, my father said that this house, this place, this ground should be called a house of prayer. And you're selling things. I don't know about you, but the church has become real good at selling things. A matter of fact, I would say most churches, and hear me, hear my heart. That we tend to lean more on the selling than we do on the praying. If we can't, if we can't, if we can't birth something, and forgive me for my charismatic language, but if we can't birth something in prayer, we might as well just try to sell things and get the job done ourselves. Maybe we'll put some lights up and some fog machines. Woo! And, and don't. Get me out of context here. Because there may be one time when you walk into this church and you'll see lights. You may never see fog light, uh, fog machines. That is a given. But you, you may see lights. I'm not attacking it. I'm going after the heart of the issue. We have a bookstairs out back there to try to uh, sell things, to nurture and grow you as an individual. But we're not trying to sell Jesus here. We're trying to lay hold of Jesus in the place of prayer. We're trying to build, hear me, build a culture of prayer. You see, the church's understanding of prayer thus far, I would say just speaking for this city, is crisis motivated. Oh no, the money's gone. We gotta pray. Call the church to fast. Oh no, the attendance is down. We gotta fast. We gotta pray. I love this one. It's the beginning of the year. <laughs> what happens all through the year? Do we just we just shelf prayer and fasting because we did it for 40 days in the beginning of the year? Come on. I'm so sick of traditions. I love some of them, but most of them. I'd love, I would rather live a constant diet of these things than just every once in a while say, ah, I think I'm going to pray and fast because I'm in crisis mode. God, I can't do things so you, I can't pull this together. But you know what I'm talking about. But we here at Hilltop are interested in building a culture of prayer where it is a rhythm. It is a daily lifestyle. And I don't think we're veering far from Scripture I think the church is veering far from Scripture. In light of Jesus' words here, in light of Isaiah's prophecy, we are the ones missing it. 
Let's summarize. In other words, their worship became so far removed from the vision Jesus had or God had. Their worship of God um, was so out of line, so out of sync. We already said that with God. And zeal had consumed God's Messiah. And it had to stop. And I, I just, I can't help but say this. It has to stop today. We have to get a grid. We have to formulate a, 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 a mindset that prayer is important. That, that we're doing more than just skipping a date with our girlfriend. We're doing more than just, you know, maybe carving out some time with uh, dates with our wives or, or carving out a social aspect of our lives a little bit more, just inconveniencing our life just a little bit to make some room for some extraordinary things. My house shall be called house of prayer. I love the way God, our Jesus, which is God, um, goes about declaring his kingship. To understand what Jesus is doing, he quotes, we already talked about this, Isaiah 56, 7, in verse 13, right, of Matthew 21, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of rob, uh, thieves. There are two things, I believe, that make this action and the Old Testament quote from the prophet Isaiah so significant. And I'm going to read some stuff off my notes because that's the way it's going to come out better, so bear with me. One is the context in Isaiah is about the coming kingdom of God, right? All right? Is that fair to say? And so Jesus is putting himself in the position of that coming king. What, what a rebel. What a stirring of the waters. I am the king. Um, the other, and this is interesting, is that the context of Isaiah is global, not just Jewish. It's not just exclusive. Jesus says, my house of prayer is for all people. Man, I'm sure at this time in history, those words were pretty provocative. Yeah. Woo! All people. Oh, no, 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 no. This thing is not just for the Jews. I'm bridging the gap. I'm bringing some Gentile homies in. I'm bringing me some Koreans in. I don't know what they were. Some Phil I don't care. Whatever. You fill in the blanks. Listen to Isaiah 56, 6 through 8, so we can get some context here. Also, this is Isaiah 56, 6, 8. Also, the foreigners will join themselves to the Lord. This is, this is the context, the backdrop of Isaiah 56. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. I love that statement because sometimes you can get in some of these prayer rooms and they as miserable as a funeral. What is going on? I mean, here is... Here's Isaiah saying, I will make God's people joyful in the house of prayer. Come on, maybe we get that house of prayer a little bit more filled if there was a little bit more joy in those rooms. For my house will be called the house of prayer for all people. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. So when Jesus chooses a prophetic word to interpret his action in the temple, he chooses one that underlines his coming on a donkey, right? Jesus prof professing himself to be the king of the coming kingdom of God. He comes in as a donkey, as a king. In fact, his kingship 
is for all people. And that is what is the most stunning and provocative about Jesus's words right here. He's saying, guys, this, there's not a diverse group amongst these people. That, that was part of what irritated Jesus. What, what are all these Jews doing here? I'm, I'm not, I'm, listen, I am pro-Israel, okay? I, you know, I was going to bring my star today. I don't have one, but I'm pro-Israel. But, but those are some pretty outstanding offensive words. Where is the diversity? You know, we got, t- today in the church, we got our black church. We got our white church. We got our Korean church. We have our Hispanic church. We have our Brazilian church. And I'm not against that. But God has a bit of an idea to bring us all together. My house of prayer. See, sometimes we just focus on my house should be called the house of prayer, period. But he goes, for, there's, there's a little bit of an addition that we need not to forget. For all people. I love Jesus. Guy is brilliant. It's probably because he's God. But um, <clears throat> So here. Here's this key takeaway. Jesus is jealous. Hear me. Jesus is jealous to open his father's house to you, to me, to black, to white. He is jealous to open his house to all people that they may pray. Can you imagine that? To pray. (laughs) That blows my mind. In light of how church is organized and structured today, it blows my mind that Jesus says, I'm going to bring a diverse group of people together and it's going to be mainly and most likely only to pray. I mean, can you get the importance here of what we do? This culture that we're trying to build just doesn't happen because we, we, we got it in here one day. This has been a vision from God from the outset. Why am I saying that? Because I get so tired of hearing people reduce dialogue with God. I get so bored. I'm going to be the the hands and the feet of Jesus. Ah, And I love it. I want to be the, hear me, I love it. But there's such an overemphasis of being the hand and the feet of Jesus. And ultimately, I don't even know if we're doing a good job at that. And I'm not just talking about Hilltop, okay? I'm talking church worldwide. It's funny, I can't remember, but there was, there was many times in the scripture, especially when Jesus was dealing with his disciples, where something great would happen, a miracle would take place, and you'd get the sense that the disciples were happy. They were joy. They're like, oh my God, this, this, this has happened. A miracle just happened. Ah. And, and, and Jesus would always just center it and bring it back to prayer. You think about, you know, um, you think about uh, Jesus even in Gethsemane. You think all the stories where Jesus just seemed to bring everything back to pray so that Satan or the devil won't deceive you. Whatever it is, uh, Jesus just had a way of centering everything around conversation with God. Is everybody all right? Oh, John, I'm sorry. Oh, 100. We got 100 kids down there today. Is everybody all right? It's a, okay, I'm going to... All right, I'm going to bring it home. I'm just going to bring it home, and we can pick up the rest later. We get in the heart here. So, so my, my main thing that I want to just drive is we are not just coming up with this. 
We're not just like, oh, let's pray a lot. You know, let's, let's start a house of prayer. No, this has been in the mind, in the heart, in the desires of God from the beginning. It's brought back into focus through Jesus because the church had become so far removed. It's important, guys. It's important. And can I say, it's just, listen, I'm all for closet prayer. I'm all for going to my room and, 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 and finding alone time with God. I'm all for that. Um, but listen, I, one thing that my alone time with God, especially my prayer life, um, drives me to do, what it leads me to do is often, in most cases, strengthens my desire to want to pray with others. And you know one thing that I've seen in my little 20-something years of being a Christian is often that's the case with people who have a secret life of prayer. Meaning, meaning I've never seen somebody that, um, that says that, oh, I, I just go to my closet, I go to my secret place with the Lord. That's great, I love that, I have them. Uh, I've never seen that um, be true <laughs> um, in, in my experience where there's actually that life and, and, and something, um, you know, sometimes comes out where you find out that that prayer life maybe wasn't so strong, that maybe it wasn't there. But often, just getting back, and I don't want to drive off the street here, um, often what we do in private um, manifests in public. My, my, my secret, my alone time, my, my withdrawing from people to be with God often draws me closer because there's something so life-giving about praying with other believers. There is such an energy. There is such a faith, which ultimately, I believe, is the language of prayer that, that, that kind of just bursts out when you're with your closest friends, just believing God and praying for your city, or praying for your loved ones, or whatever it is that you're praying for. Is everybody okay? I'm, I'm just asking myself that. Daryl, are you okay? Yes, Daryl. All right. I'm going to... I'm just going to wrap it up with this, just because I want everybody to have a safe drive home, or a walk home, whatever you're doing. But um, one of my main concerns, and, and one of the things that I don't want to see Hilltop become, is a church that knows how to organize well, build institutions, publish books, insert ourselves in the media scope, as many do in the body of Christ, develop evangelistic strategies, and administer discipleship programs, but we forget how to pray. Do you know you can tell a lot about person when they open their mouth to pray maybe it's just not about the the totality of a person maybe it's just about where they are just in that moment I can always tell where I'm at when I open my mouth to pray if it's a time with my family you know and I'm just like Lord just bless our day and bless our day <laughs> and if you would just just bless our day So 
Several years ago, a North American seminary took a poll of 50 students planning to go over, overseas uh, uh, for ministry for the summer, and they were interviewed for their suitability um, for these missions trip. Staggering, only three, uh, six percent could testify to regular quiet times in the reading of the Bible and devoting themselves to prayer. I, I, I often wonder if this is kind of the, the truth of the majority of believers. I know in many ways it is with me. See, it's, it's very easy to act, isn't it? I mean, we have actors in Hollywood. You know, it's very easy to put on a face, you know, Jesus. And, and there be no reality of what's coming out of that face inside of you. And, and my caution, Hilltop, my recommendation is that we would always be known. Not to boast, not to become prideful. Because you know what? It's, it's a very humbling thing to leave time with my wife and come down and do prayer sets. And it's, it's an often struggle because most things happen on Saturday nights. And that's one of my sets that I lead. Um, and, and other nights. It's, 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 it's hard. It's not easy. But, but I, I, I have come to realize that this thing we're doing is so important. Can I just say this? This thing, House of Prayer, that we're doing is so important that I wouldn't even want to do what we're doing now as a church without it. If, if Jeha ceased to exist, I would most likely close the doors of Hilltop. I would most likely do it. And that would be my recommendation to any church. I believe, guys, that Jesus has given us an extraordinary opportunity as a community to be pioneers in this area, to hold fast to building a culture of prayer. I want to invite our church into that culture. Many of us here today, I mean, if a fraction of this church, because we're missing so many people today, I imagine because of the weather, but we're missing so many people, but if a fraction, even half of this church got involved, if you were a musician, if you were a singer, if you love to pray, if, if just half of our church got involved, we would be probably close to doing 24-7, meaning nonstop. That seems a little bit out of reach or maybe even a little bit foolish to some of us, but I think it's the heart of God. I think it's, it's clear. And I'm sorry um, that... I'm going to end here because I have a lot more, but we'll get to it. Um, but I do want to say this in closing. We love the sound of children. It means there's life all around us. I love it. So don't ever feel like you have to quiet her. She can scream. <laughs> I want to read a quote by Mike Bickle. Um, and I can't find it because I'm trying to scurry through my notes here. Mike Bickle says that given he is the founder of the International House of Prayer, not Pancakes, in Kansas, <laughs> and extraordinary, I, I, I feel as though what IHOP is doing today is remarkable, remarkable. The unsung sung heroes, although they are heroes in many of our books, but he says that uh, given Isaiah's prophecy and Jesus bringing back into focus that prophecy... Um, 
It gives the church both her identity, her identity, that's a, that's a big word, and her primary role and focus in the earth. So what should we be doing as believers, guys? We should be praying. We should at, in every opportunity, making time. Often things of why we find ourselves in kind of a prayerless state is often the reasons are just excuses. If, if you really track this back and you do some research, you find that mainly uh, those things that prevent us from maybe living a, uh, a constant diet of prayer and worship with other believers is um, so far removed from reality. And nobody else is going to know that except for you, the individual, because we're not flies on your wall, you know, like tracking your every moment. But um, Andrew Murray, one more quote from A Life in Prayer, a book I've been reading for at least the last two weeks, so don't give me too much credit. I'm not much of a reader. He says that not only, pr- uh, that not only is prayerlessness a sin, but it's a great sin. I don't think most of us view like that. I know I certainly don't. He says um, that often the reason we don't pray is that we quickly dismiss and excuse it as being a human weakness and being uh, neglected or too busy to do, that there's no time. In his book, he explains that those are often excuses made to work, uh, made to work as distractions that keep the deep guilt at a distance that should be felt because of prayerlessness, but is hardly recognized. He pleads with his readers to consider prayerlessness to be truly a sinful act and nothing less. That may be very drastic of a statement to make, but I don't think it veers too far from uh, biblical truth. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, we could look at Adam and Eve's action as being a type of prayerlessness. Uh, they eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, and they are ashamed to speak with the Lord as he comes to meet with them in the garden. They are disconnected from God in their sin. Their communication with him is interrupted. Adam and Eve's prayerlessness was sin, and it was caused by sin. I hate to throw the three-letter word out this morning on a snowy Sunday. But I I think we need to have more of a sobriety when handling the treasures of God. And I believe, even though I didn't have a lot of time to get it out, I believe from Isaiah to uh, Jesus in Matthew 21 and John chapter 12, we see the focus that Christ brings this treasure called prayer back into the life of the church. Friend, I would encourage you to lock in with us and try to carve times out in your life for prayer, not just in your closet, but with other believers. Is this all right? Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we just thank you, Lord, that even as we see in your word, Lord, that 
the birthing of the New Testament church in the book of Acts, Lord, that it was from a gathering in the upper room of 120 believers, that it was a corporate call to come together and to seek the face of God that birthed the New Testament church. And God, even as it says in that passage, Lord, that tongues of fire rested upon each of them. Lord, that it was not just upon the apostles. It wasn't just upon those with um, ministry gifts. It wasn't just upon the men. It wasn't just upon the women. Lord, but that whole entirety of 120 tongues of fire rested upon them. God, we thank you, Lord, that it was not just the extroverts, but God, the introverts were brought in. God, that they were all together in that place experiencing a baptism of fire. And so, God, as we've heard this word this morning, God, I ask, Lord, even right now, God, that every place, Lord, that we have built up um, walls of defense with excuses on either why we don't pray or even in public settings that, um, Lord, I ask, Lord, that even as it was highlighted, and it's so true that when we draw away to seek you in the place of prayer, Lord, that there is a place of boldness and desire to pray and give voice with other believers. Lord, that prayer is fueled, Lord, when we come together in unity in the place of prayer. So, God, we ask, Lord, that whether it's our individual lives or even our corporate lives, Lord, any place, Lord, that we have excuses that we have used as to why we don't pray or why we don't gather or, Lord, all of those things. God, I ask, Lord, that right now, God, that you would highlight, Lord, the excuses, Lord, that have crippled us, that have disabled us, Lord, that have isolated us from you and from others. And Lord, even right now, God, I ask, Lord, that every excuse would be brought to the cross. Lord, that it would be surrendered and yielded. And Lord, that it would be brought into obedience and subjection to the word of God. Lord, we don't want to exalt, Lord, our own identity or our own uh, calling or even personality or preference over your word. But God, we want to come into the fullness of what it is that you have called us to. So God, I ask, Lord, I'm just going to pray corporately, specifically, if there's anybody here that in hearing this word, you know that God is calling you to a greater posture of prayer. I just want you to stand to your feet. Lord, I ask, Lord, even right now for those that felt the fire of the Holy Spirit, Lord, in the teaching of this word, God, we ask you, Father, for the grace of prayer and fasting. God, I ask, Lord, for those today that felt a stirring in their heart, Lord, that they would not leave this place, Lord, and then be idle. God, that they would not leave this place, Lord, without taking action. But Lord, as your word calls us to be hearers, but also doers of the word. God, I thank you, Father, that even leaving here, God, that there would be a place of resolution, that there would be a place of resolve, that there would be a place of decision and a posture that is held before you. God, I ask, Lord, that even as your word, that you, that we see all throughout that place of bringing you a sacrifice and that that is where fire comes. Lord, I thank you, Father, that this week, I'm just going to challenge you, every person in this place, if you don't give any time to God daily, start with 10 minutes. Find 10 minutes. And I'm going to say this to you, put it on your calendar. I don't care if it's in the morning. I don't care if it's at night. I don't care if it's your lunchtime. During seasons when I was working long hours and I couldn't give days on ends to prayer and fasting, I would do morning, afternoon, and evening for 15 minutes. I would go to a bathroom stall, lock myself in it during my bath, uh, during my lunch break 
break and have 15 minutes of prayer. That might sound insignificant to you, but what I'm saying to you is you're presenting your small before the Lord. And the smallness of obedience, he's going to meet you. He is going to encounter you and there will be increase to that small. So what I'm saying to you right now is don't feel overwhelmed by the little that you feel like you have to give or your small capacity. Give it to him faithfully and he is going to increase your desire. If you start with those small acts of obedience, then he's going to meet you and increase that desire within your heart. So Lord, even right Right now, we just speak the grace of prayer and fasting. Lord, I thank you, Father, that um, these ones, Lord, even standing, God, that this would be a season that they would be consecrated to the place of prayer. And Lord, that you would speak to each one of them individually what that looks like in this season, at this point, and at this time. And God, we thank you, Lord, that it's the posture of obedience, the place of surrender and responding in obedience. We love you, Jesus. Hey, too, just really quick. When you're making the effort to change and kind of redirect your life to um, bring about more opportunities to pray, don't give easily to um, the accusation of the devil. It's, it's, it's interesting how he plays with our minds. I've been there a couple times when I've tried to make those efforts and changing and redirecting my schedule to um, afford more time to pray. It's interesting uh, to see how the devil manipulates and works. Oh, you're just religious. Oh, you just don't need to do Oh, look, at God's not speaking. You know, whatever it might be, just try to distract you and divert you. I, I would just encourage everyone who made a choice to try to press past that smog, silence uh, the voice of the accuser, and keep trucking, keep going and working hard. If you have, um, if you're finding it hard, join us. Listen, you got Monday through uh, Saturday, uh, morning and night, join us for a time of prayer. Pray with other people to help uh, make uh, those changes. All right? Listen, we love you guys. Get home. Please be safe. Drive um, responsibly. Of course you will, but drive carefully. Um, if you're a guest or visiting with us here today, stop by the info table. Even if you don't like us, stop by because you're going to get a cool gift. Um, but we also want to get to know you and um, maybe connect a little bit more personal with you, okay? We love you, Hilltop. We'll be back here uh, same time next Sunday. Bethany, uh, my wife's going to bring the word. It's going to be a good time. We love you.